you know, there's a lot of different definitions of creative real estate. But for me, it's the ability to do what you love anywhere from anywhere your entire life. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by Ecospace.com. Now, here's your hosts, Adam and Jason. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jason J. Lou Lewis. And today we're diving in of the overall kind of creativeness that comes from someone who's been a serial entrepreneur, who has been involved in over 12 companies, who has been involved in $250 million of real estate through all avenues of development and investing. And they're going to drop some information bombs on us of just how to get to that level, whether it is during an up market or a down market, and uh, just overall, just find some creative ways to, to make it in the real estate world. So we're welcoming today, Mr. Greg Dickerson. Greg, welcome. Hey, Jason. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure, man. I'm, I'm excited to dive in. I, I love serial entrepreneurship in general, whether it's real estate or just business. I think they all kind of co-mingle and they kind of come in and out and connecting with each other and they're all connected in some way, some form. So if you're successful in one, a lot of times you can be successful in the other. So um, let's, let's kind of dive into just your background. Take us back to your first real estate deal or, or entrepreneurship and how, that, how you learn to get creative at that time. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'm a guy who started with absolutely nothing. The 250 million, that's just my own personal deals. You know, I've done another probably four or 500 million beyond that between the companies um, and other, other real estate deals and, and with some equity capital exits in the billion range, probably, you know, plus or minus when you add it all together. So that was just me, my own personal stuff. So, you know, went in the Navy right out of high school, um, got out of the Navy, uh, worked in a few different jobs here, there, mostly restaurants and construction, you know, learned it all from the ground up. Um, educated myself, you know, through personal professional development, reading all the usual books, all, all the usual suspects. This is back in 1985 to 89 military, got out, worked in the corporate world for a while. And then 1997, I started my entrepreneurial journey. And one of the first books I read, obviously, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you know, a lot of people read that book, but the three most instrumental books, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Think and Grow Rich, and uh, Power of Positive Thinking. So I read those three books. Among others, you know, there were some management books and leadership books I read, but from a business standpoint and a mindset standpoint, those are the three most instrumental in my career and my development. And Rich Dad, Poor Dad is where I got the serial entrepreneur thing. You know, the, what I got from that book was not real estate, which is what a lot of people get. I got entrepreneurship, build businesses that generate cash flow to invest in other assets. So that's what I did. I said, okay, I'm going to build a business. So I started a little remodeling handyman company in 1997, 98. And uh, it was just started from scratch, absolutely nothing. I had some credit cards and I uh, went out, started doing little odd jobs here and there and built that into a $30 million building company in a seven year period and started, you know, a dozen other companies along the way. And I exited those companies and I used the profits from the building company to invest in real estate. And then I just grew and scaled everything from there by doing, learning from others, doing deals with other investors, developers. A lot of it was through creative financing, you know, buying, selling, uh, with creative financing uh, and creative financing, you know, a lot of people think, you know, subject to underfinance, you know, terms, things like that in real estate. But I creatively financed my business all the way through from day one, all the way through using credit cards, um, using cash flow from projects, reinvesting profits, 
buying vehicles at zero interest and financing vehicles. I mean, I did it all the wrong way because I had no other choice. I didn't have any capital. I didn't know how to raise money back then. So I was operating on fumes, borrowing, you know, money off credit cards to fund my business as I went along and, you know, um, building supply house accounts, you know, things like that. So uh, it, it was creative financing, you know, 101 to 501 all the way through from beginning to end. So that's kind of a short journey of how I, how I you know, did that and how, how I started. So you're saying that the credit card financing was not the right one. You know, back then there was no zero interest credit card offer. So <laughs> no, it was very expensive. But, you know, I did what I had to do because, again, I had no resources. I had, nobody I knew had money. Well, people I knew, I knew people that had money, but I just didn't know how to approach them. I didn't even know how to raise capital back then. You know, I'm just, you know, I don't know, early 30s, um, you know, start my own business. And, and all I knew at that time was you go to work, you make money and you reinvest the profit in order to build the business. I needed capital and I didn't know how to raise that capital. I went to banks. They wouldn't loan me any money. Um, you know, I owned a house and all that. And I had a little equity line in my house, like 20 grand. I had credit cards and I kind of used that to finance the business and grow when I needed to hire people, when I needed to buy equipment. And, um, and you know, as I grew and scaled the business, then all of a sudden I started learning. I started learning about leverage. I started learning, you know, how to buy properties. Then I learned how to raise capital. I didn't even know you could do those things. So I started working for some developers that kind of taught me the business. And they're like, yeah, man, all you got to do is this, this, and this. So, um, you know, that's, that's when my eyes opened up a little bit. And uh, even my first real estate deal, I mean, I didn't know you could buy and sell real estate as a business, um, you know, when I first got started. So my first deal was a lot flip. There was a friend of mine that was a realtor. And he came to me and said, hey, you know, I was doing well. He said, we could buy this lot, you know, for 150 grand or 100 grand, whatever it was. He said, you know, my dad's got a, client that'll pay us, you know, 150 for it. So we buy it for hundred and, you know, they'll pay us 150. I'm like, can you do that? He said, yeah. He said, you put up all the money, I'll take care of the rest. So I did. And, you know, we did it and split the profit and I was off to the races after that. So uh, it really was just an awareness. I didn't know what I didn't know. And, uh, you know, once the awareness was there, I had the vehicle, I had the knowledge, and then I just grew and scaled everything from there. Uh, over the years. And it's, you know, it's been a 23 year journey. What would you say to someone that wants to get started, but they just can't take that first step? You just mentioned it's been a 23 year journey. It's not been a two or three week journey of some course you signed up for. So what might be some, some things you might say to them to say, here's how you get from step one to year 23. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that's just the entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial journey. There was eight, nine years before that working and being in the military and all that you know, preparing myself and learning. So first and foremost, you got to educate yourself. You got to build into yourself. You got to build that mindset so that you are willing and able to take that risk. If you're going to step out on your own, you're going to step into a deal and you just got to make up your mind. I'm going to do it and just go for it. So for a lot of people, it's building that mindset and then just taking that first step and starting somewhere. Like a lot of people just, there's so much information. You know, I guess when I was coming up, there was very little information out there. There was no internet. So, you know, you couldn't Google a course and there was no YouTube, none of that. So, um, you know, there were a few infomercials. There were a couple of real estate guys like Russ Whitney, Carlton Sheets, you know, Dave Lindahl. They were teaching some stuff and I read their books, you know, as I went along and kind of learned more about creative financing and all that for them. Uh, even Dave Lindahl got started flipping houses and then using that to invest in multifamily properties. He was a landscape contractor, you know, and just kind of the same. So I kind of learned from him and, you know, did that as I went along. And he didn't talk about raising capital. He talked about, you know, do deals to generate the money for down payment. So, 
you know, that's, that's why I self-funded myself along the way. That's who I learned from. So what happens now is people, there's so much information they get stuck. And, you know, they're looking at this and then there, somebody else has, well, this is the new best thing. And there's a secret here and there's a specialist there. And, you know, they just get hung up in, in analysis paralysis and they get, they just get stuck and they're afraid to move because they think, well, what if this isn't the right information or what if there's a better way? And what I say is pick one that resonates with you, pick something that speaks to you and act on that and just get started and start working that system. There's nothing new under the sun. There is no new way to buy. There is no new way to sell. There is no new list that you don't know about. Everybody's using the same stuff that's been used since the beginning of time when it comes to real estate, all the way back to the book, you know, how to become a millionaire, you know, one house at a time or something that this guy yep, wrote years yep. ago. Um, you know, so just put all that stuff to, to the side, whatever the one thing is that you like, that resonates with you, that you feel like I can go do this, whether that's flipping houses whether it's buying a, you know, four unit, a 50 unit, a hundred unit, whatever it is, you know, commercial building, pick that strategy, learn everything you can about it, learn everything you can about your market. And that's really the key. And then just go and then start and then just build and grow and scale that. And if you've got something you're doing now that's working for you, don't get distracted, especially right now, laser focus in on that and drive that thing home and grow and scale whatever it is that's working for you until it is fully automated and maxed out. Then, then step outside and go try some other things. That's great. What, what would be a way that they would maybe find what they should take that first step on? What, what's some, you know, courses or classes or reading or something? Because they, they might say, I don't even know what to take my first step or where to focus in. So what, what might they do to, to get to that point? You know, whatever they're interested in and where their financial abilities, you know, lead them. So, you know, some people are more interested in flipping houses. So if you, if you want to do that, then, you know, learn your market. So it all, no matter what you're doing, if we're talking real estate, then if you're talking business, you know, you need to know your market. You need to know your customers. Business is customers, real estate, your customers, your market. So you need to first learn the market. And, you know, if you're interested in houses, learn everything there is to know. How many houses are on the market? How many are under contract? How many have sold? What are the average days on market at each of those three stages? Uh, you know, what's your inventory levels and, and your, um, uh, you know, run rate on houses and, um, you know, if it's commercial multifamily, learn everything there is to know about the commercial multifamily in your market. What are the rental rates? What are the occupancy levels? Um, you know, what's the demand in your area? You know, how does it work? How do you manage those things? What are the property managers doing? So you really got to find something that you, you, you enjoy, you're passionate about, you can get your mind around. And, you know, again, it really starts with learning the market, learning the language of the business, whatever business you're getting into, real estate has its own language, you know, restaurants, retail, manufacturing. I mean, every industry has its own language, its own KPIs, its own metrics. So you want to, you want to become an expert at it. And then you got to look at, well, what are my resources? What, how much capital do I have? What's my ability to raise money? How comfortable am I going big or small? And just, you know, pick something and start with it. So if it's one house, start with one house. I don't care what anybody says. You can start with one house. I started with a lot flip, you know, and went from there. <clears throat> that was my first deal. And I've now, since then, I've flipped land and made, you know, three, four $400,000 on it. So, you know, there's different levels of everything. So um, I think it boils down to whatever resonates with you, whatever you feel like you can understand, get your mind around and build confidence in yourself to take action. And then as you start taking the action, you start building that confidence, then you can take more bigger action and grow and scale or stay in your lane and just stick with, you know, whatever that is. It's great. Great information. Where, 
where did that lead kind of you today? You said you've done the 12 businesses, the 250 to possibly a billion worth. What, where are you kind of now and where do you see that evolving uh, with you and your real estate and business entrepreneurship? So I know my strengths and weaknesses. So that's the other important thing about getting started. Know yourself, know your strengths, your weaknesses, you know, know what you're good at. You know, you've got to become a leader, delegator, motivator so that you can, you know, motivate results, inspire results out of others when you're leveraging. So for me personally, as I've grown and evolved, um, I like fewer, bigger deals. Um, I like to build things. So I'm opportunistic. So I look for opportunities to really um, you know, get a 2x, 3x return. So those are the types of things I'm interested in, either ground up, uh, adaptive reuse, heavy lift kind of stuff, infill development. So I like, I like to go in and do very challenging projects and do fewer, bigger deals, you know, so I don't have to do anything. So I like to do the right things and I like to wait for the right things that have a big reward, but they also have risk. But this is what I am and it's what I do so I can mitigate those risks. I also know about myself, I'm a startup guy. So as an entrepreneur, um, I like to get things built up, get them going, you know, very high energy, get it off and running. And then I like to turn it over. I don't like to run the day to day. Um, you know, I'm a visionary leader, delegator, motivator. And then I like to have build a team and put a team in place and let them execute on the vision. So from a company standpoint, um, that's what I look for. I look for companies that have the ability uh, and opportunity to scale where I can put a team in place. I can lead that team. You know, I don't have to be in the business every day. I'll, I'll be in there at first getting it running. You know, when I opened restaurants, I was in there in those restaurants, getting them open, you know, leading the charge. But then once we had three or four of them, I stepped out and had a team that ran. Same thing with the real estate. You know, when I'm doing a development project, you know, I've got boots on the ground. I'm there. You know, I pick the soil up. I smell it. I look at it. I meet with the architects, engineers, contractors, get it all going. But once it's running, man, I'm out. And the team is, you know, they're executing and rolling. And when it's done and built, the management company comes in, they get it leased up turned and then boom, I'm selling it and I'm off to the next one, you know, or I'm working the next one. So this allows me to do a lot of different projects at one time, um, which is the same, you know, for a multifamily portfolio operator, you have a team, you can do a lot of different projects through that. So that's, that's kind of me. And, you know, with what's going on right now, uh, I'm patiently waiting, you know, for the right opportunities. You know, I'm not one of those ones that thinks that there's this huge crash coming other than hotels, you know, retail, obviously office, there's a lot of challenges in those markets and there could be some great opportunities there. But in general, the multifamily market is still healthy. Uh, the residential housing market is still pretty healthy. You know, self-storage industrial, those are still very healthy. So, you know, I think we are still a year, you know, plus or minus out before there's any real buying opportunities. And then there's going to be little pockets of distress, you know, here and there where you can jump in and, and you know, snatch up some good deals. You mentioned the, that you are the visionary. Have you implemented or dove into the like entrepreneur operating system, the EOS? Cause you kind of mentioned that that's that. And if so, is that something you maybe recommend? Cause, or cause you mentioned that you're the visionary and then you have the implementers and, and such yeah. in that. Is that something? You've yeah, that's a great system. And you know, that's how I built all my companies before that system was ever even around. So I started back in the day with uh, the, the series of the one minute manager so um, I had the One Minute Manager series of books that, I, that was my leadership model. And then there was also another book, uh, Managing by Harold Janine. He was the CEO of ITT, first multi-conglomerate. Um, so when I worked for a restaurant corporation before I stepped out on my own, those were the books they had us read and the system that we followed. And it was the EOS system. So it was all about leading, delegating, motivating, right? You've, you've got a number one um, 
put your people in place. You got to have aces in place with the right people in the right job. And you've got to lead them to the finish line. You know, you've got to give your people tools, training systems and support to be successful. You got to give them that clear direction to know in certain terms exactly what's expected and when measure that performance, hold them accountable to the goal. And then, you know, have those reset sessions. If the goal is being reached great, if it's not, you know, um, then you redirect that behavior and all that. But at the end of the day, you know, that corporate pyramid that everybody had the CEO sitting on the top of and everybody else is underneath of them. You know, my philosophy was to flip that upside down. You know, uh, what I do, I don't work on the business. Uh, so the business works for me. Like people say, don't work in the business, work on the business. I work on the people in the business. And that's what I've always done my entire career is you build and develop people to work on the business for you. So same kind of philosophy behind EOS. I've read it and I've seen it and it's, it's the same kind of stuff. So that's a great resource for a lot of people. They have a very mm-hmm. systematic thing. There's a couple of things I don't quite agree with it. You know, they like, they like to use very high level titles with very, you know, small companies. Yeah. They, they fill you essentially you, you put the title and you can fill in anyone there. So it's kind of a general yeah. box to that versus. Yeah. So specific. I think, yeah, I think you gotta be careful there. Like they want to call a chief operating officer, what's essentially a manager and you got to be careful because when people have big titles they have big expectations Mm -hmm. you know as an employee so as as a business owner entrepreneur you gotta you gotta lead people up that ladder before you give them those big titles that can create problems and you can end up what happens if somebody gets put in that position and with that title you got to give them a big package there's no growth for them so then you know then they either leave or they get resentful so you got to start people smaller and then let them work up into those roles and you know organizations need a CEO, they need a COO, they need a CFO, they need these things. And I had those in my companies, but you know, you got to let people rise to that unless you're the type of, you know, of organization that can support, you know, that level of title. You can call somebody a director of operations versus chief operating officer, same job, same role, different salary, different expectation levels. So I would caution people, depending on your level of business, if you're the average, you know, house flipping company, you really don't need a chief operating officer, right? You need a general manager or, a, or an operations manager or a director of operations and let people work up that up, up to that role. That C-level thing is, is a big thing in corporate America. Um, you know, so that's, that's one area of that, but I, I love their system. It's great. They really break it down for people and uh, you know, they come in and implement that in your business. So that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, those implementers, I've, we've done self-implementation or attempted to. We, we've never fully been able to get to that that full EOS, but the people who have mm-hmm. chose to have the implementers come in and spend that money, uh, it's been a very worthwhile yeah. cost and, and time to get that going. So it's always, uh, I always enjoy when someone else sees that they're either a visionary or an implementer where they are because mm-hmm. it, it is very important to choose or know where you are. I guess you really can't choose it because this is naturally your, your personality. So, um, and, and finding those like-minded people that can fill in those other boxes. So. Yeah. Even um, before strength finders, you know, going back, knowing your strengths, aces in places, we call it aces in places. So, you know, you hired the right people, you put them in the right role and you coached them to, to success, you know, all this cross training and crossover, you know, forget that. And then the old adage, you know, de- develop your strengths, you know, or, you know, develop your weaknesses, focus on your, whatever, forget your weaknesses, hire out your weaknesses, delegate your weaknesses, focus 100% on your strengths. And same thing with your people, you find the right people and put them in a position of strength and power, you know, and I always, always use the sports analogies, you know, if you've got a Tom Brady, 
The last thing you're going to do is put him at wide receiver just so he gets a little extra training and knows how to do that job in case the wide receiver gets hurt. Now, you want to win a Super Bowl, you get Tom Brady, you put him at quarterback, and you tell Tom, go win a Super Bowl. And the last thing you do with a Tom Brady is say, you know what, Tom? I think you should take two steps before you throw, not three. No, you tell Tom, win a Super Bowl. That's what you were brought here to do. And if you don't win it, I'm going to get somebody else who will. So, you know, that that's kind of that whole strength thing. Focus on your strengths, hire out your weaknesses, and know your limitations. And then here's a big one, too. You know, a big takeaway here is don't be intimidated by hiring people smarter and better than you. As a business owner, the way I blew a company from zero to 30 million in seven years, and really it was over about a four or five year span, was I went and found the best people doing what I wanted to do. So we were a custom home builder, luxury, multi-million dollar houses. I've never built a house before in my life, before I built my first house as a builder. So what I did was I went and hired really great, smart people from the top company in the area to come work with me and build this company. And I let them do it. So I came in, hired these people. I learned from them. They mentored me. They coached me. I humbled myself and said, man, I have no clue how to build a house. Teach me. I learned from our subs. I learned from them. I wasn't intimidated. You know, I wasn't afraid. In the business world, a lot of entrepreneurs are afraid to hire people smarter and better than them because they feel like maybe they're going to get found out, right? That's what you want to do. Surround yourself with people that are way smarter than you, way more talented than you, so that you can learn from them and they can teach you and let them run your business. It's great advice. What, where, do they, where do you find those people? I mean, if you're that point that you haven't ever built a home, but hey, I want to launch a multiple million dollar custom home building. Any tips or suggestions on on how they go and, and find those people and get those people to trust them and to come work for them? Because I'm guessing it might have been a, a little of a struggle if you haven't built that home to then bring that person on and trust that you're the one that's going to help take them to, to their next level. Yeah. People want to be part of something great. They want to be part of a vision. They want to be part of a movement. So you have to have a big vision. You got to be able to cast that vision and you have to be sincerely interested in the success of the other people. So as a leader, you're at the bottom of that pyramid, right? You're the servant. You're giving everybody the opportunity, everything they need, you know, to be successful. So when you, when you have the ability to articulate a clear vision and people see it and they buy into it, they get more excited about that than any title or any, any salary that you can pay them. So that's one thing. You got to understand, you got to have a vision, you got to be able to clearly articulate it, and you got to be able to get people to buy into it, which is that whole, you know, leadership inspires results out of others. There's a difference between a leader and a manager, right? Big difference. So it's that visionary leader that can inspire results and transformation out of others with others. Um, And then you go to your competition. So if you want to build a building company, you find a great building company that's building the kind of things you want to build, whatever it is, and you hire, you know, recruit and hire their people. Um, you know, back then it was little, literally directly through a network, you know, so-and-so knew so-and-so working there. So I called him up and we had a chat and, you know, I recruited him. So headhunters do that. Mm-hmm. They go inside companies and they recruit top, you know, talent from companies. So that's one way to do it. Another way is, you know, obviously putting ads on Indeed and, you know, working that strategy and stuff like that. But um, in smaller niche markets, you want to go after companies that you want to be and hire their best people. If I wanted to build Amazon, I would go after Jeff Bezos' right-hand person and say, I want you to build this company. I want you to run this company. People love that opportunity. You know, they'll walk away from a very nice job to have the opportunity to be in charge and to be left alone to make their own decisions and build something. So, you know, that's, that's how you do that. 
one last question before we jump over to commercial break is, are you giving these people any incentive of ownership, any these 12 companies or so that you started when you brought these people? Were they salaried or were they equity, small base with higher upside? What, what would you maybe recommend for people to kind of structure that, whether they might have money or they might not have money to, to pay those high salaries? Yeah. So some of it, it was a little mix of everything. Some were just salaried employees with performance bonuses. So I've always been performance bonus, you know, uh, oriented and give people a share of the profit. So if they brought projects in, you know, on time and on budget, they would get bonus based on that percentage of profit. Um, then I had models where some of the companies I started with people, they had an idea and maybe they were working somewhere. Like I had a pool spa guy that was selling me pools and spas. He'd been doing it 10 years. He wanted his own business, but didn't have the money or the know-how. So he came to me and he said, look, you're buying 30, 40 of these things for me a year. Um, why don't I come with you? We'll start a company. You can buy them at wholesale. So you'll make a bunch of money. And then, you know, we'll go out to the market with this business and then consolidate this fragmented industry of pool spas, landscaping, right? All your outdoor service installation needs. So we created a company that did all of that. And I brought him in as a partner. So he got a salary. He ran everything. Um, and then we split the profits after that. Um, you know, I, I had a plumbing company, same kind of way. You know, he was, he was on a salary. I was on a salary. I didn't work in the company. He ran it. So we kind of did it that way. And then we split whatever was left over and I sold it back to him. And then I've had a couple that were just straight equity where they were sweat equity and uh, it was a profit split, you know, after that, no salary. So it's been any combination of them all. And it depends on who the individual is that I'm doing the deal with. Uh, but if I'm setting it up, I'm building it, I'm running it, I'm just hiring people, then it's going to be a salary with a performance based bonus in there. That's great insight, Greg. Really appreciate it. We're going to take a quick break, commercial break, and we'll come right back and we'll dive right in to the final five. Hey, it's Adam Adams, and I am thrilled and excited to announce the launch of my brand new, brand new YouTube channel. So I don't know if you like YouTube or not, if you watch YouTube or not, but if you do, head over and please subscribe to the Apartment Investing Show. This YouTube channel is 100% about apartments only. If you're looking to fix and flip, not the right show for you. If you're looking to invest in hotels, not the right show for you. This is the apartment investing show. And I mean the apartment investing show. And I'm thrilled and excited about it. If you can, do me a giant favor. Run over there right now. If you're a YouTube watcher and find the apartment investing show, please Give me a rating and a review, like give us a thumbs up and subscribe, click that bell. We're going to be pushing out some amazing content on the YouTube channel. So if you are looking to scale and grow and get into apartments, whether it's syndication or just owning these on your own, the Apartment Investing Show is the right show for you. Go look for the Apartment Investing Show on YouTube right now, and I'll see you there. We are back from break. Greg Dickerson, we're going to dive right into the final five. First question, what's the most creative real estate deal you've been involved in? And tell us uh, what about that creativity stood out. So the first big deal I ever did was an oceanfront hotel, tore it down, built three multi-million dollar houses on that parcel. It was my next door neighbor. I bought a lot from him. I was going to build my first house. Um, and he said, hey, I have this deal that we don't want to do. My partners and I were backing out. Do you want the deal? I said, okay, sure. He said, give me 10 grand. The deal is yours. It was an oceanfront piece of land. 
Um, I think I was buying it at, you know, 1.2 million. It was about $300,000 for each lot. So I put it under contract and uh, started working my due diligence and planning to build three 12 bedroom, multi-million dollar oceanfront houses. During that process, I had a friend of mine who was a realtor. He said, Hey, I got a client that would like to buy that land from you and let you build all three houses. So I'd never built one of these houses before. This is what launched my career as a high-end luxury developer. So I ended up for $10,000 deposit I put on that contract. I didn't even close on it. I flipped the land, made over $100,000 flipping the land, built these three houses, made $100,000 each on each one of those houses. All this in about an eight-month span with 10000 bucks out of my pocket. That was it. And uh, that's what launched our company, launched my career, and made me the go-to guy for oceanfront you know, construction in my area and enabled me to hire those top people and grow and scale that company. That's awesome. That, that also just shows that you just never know where your start is going to be, but you have to just be out there in the thick of it for that one, one thing to hit, that one message. Sound like this was from your neighbor that even how this, it wasn't even someone that yeah, you were searching Yeah, my neighbor, he owned out. some hotels, he owned the Dairy Queen. I was buying a lot from him to build my house on and, yeah. and he, he knew what I was doing and he's like, hey man, you want to do this? I'd never done a deal other than flip that one lot before that, I'd maybe built a couple of little, I don't even know if I was building spec houses yet, but uh, this was my first big deal. I had no clue what I was doing. I was scared to death. You know, when he said, take this and put 10,000 down, I took the check to his attorney, didn't hear from his attorney for like two weeks. I was like, what's going on? The three guys that were going to do this deal were very wealthy, prominent guys in the area. So when they gave me the deal, I'm like, wait a minute, why don't they want to do the deal? What's going on here? What, where am I going to lose? You know, so I just, I had a lot of fear. I had a lot of skepticism. I just kept going, kept marching and, you know, just kept doing what I was doing. They told me, don't try to build 12 bedroom houses. You'll never get it through. I got it through. I was very creative about it. And then uh, they were the three largest houses ever built at that time in that area. And they still are today. You can't do any larger uh, than that because uh, of the way we did it. it was very creative. So it, it was, it was interesting. It was just, you know, it just fell on my lap. We love those stories. Where, where do you see the market in five years, Greg? And where do you see yourself other than maybe sitting in uh, one of those 12 bedroom houses uh, yeah. watching the sunset? You know, I'm 52 now, so I'm in a different stage in my life and I don't have to do anything. So I'm very selective about the types of deals I do and the types of projects I take on. So I still see myself doing what I love to do, which is develop, take old buildings, make them new, bring stuff out of the ground. Um, you know, if there's a great company that comes along that has, you know, the ability to grow and scale, I'll do that. Um, so, you know, I still see myself doing those things. Um, you know, I coach and mentor people all over the country. I love doing that. I love pouring into people. So I'm, I'm growing that. And, um, you know, as far as the market goes in the next five years, you know, we're going to learn a lot here in the next three to six months uh, and more particularly in the next year or so, depending on how uh, we get a hold of this coronavirus thing, you know, vaccine treatment, obviously we need those. We need to get the country back open and sustaining a decline in infections and deaths and, you know, get to the other side of this. So depending on how that looks, there could be some real damage or there can, there could be some real, you know, upside opportunity. And we, 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 you know, start coming back in a, in a year to two years, but it's going to be, you know, a year to two years of any kind of real recovery in the economy. Um, and, and what the real impacts on, on the real estate market are, we just, we just don't know yet. So, uh, you know, I'm going to continue to stay the course, continue to do what I do and, and uh, just take advantage of opportunities when they come along. That's great, Greg. Uh, book, you, you'd highlighted, I think, three, at least three at the beginning, mm -hmm. but any particular one of those or a different one that people should read or, or listen to on Audible? 
Yeah. So, you know, from a leadership management standpoint, the One Minute Manager series of books, there's the new One Minute Manager. Uh, then there's putting the One Minute Manager to work and leadership in the One Minute Manager. So those are three great books on how to, how to recruit, hire, train, lead, delegate, motivate people. And it's a great management system. It's a lot like EOS. Um, very, a lot of similarities in there, but not as detailed, you know, into, you know, the aspects that EOS goes into, but, but same thing. That's kind of where a lot of that came from. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the neatest books that I've read recently, um, there's a guy called Harold Janine wrote a book called Happiness and, um, it's no positivity. It's either happiness or positivity by Harold Janine. I can't remember the title, but really great book. This is a guy that's, uh, you know, we're kind of wired the same, except he's a whole different level. He's, he's on his 13th unicorn. So a unicorn is a company that is taken to or valued at a billion dollars, um, you know, from scratch startup. So he's a startup investor, venture capitalist. He's, he's done on his 13th unicorn right now and he's in his eighties. And, you know, I love this guy, right? He's so, I operate the same way. I have zero backlog in my life. I take care of everything right now. Now is the best time to do anything. Um, and he just talks about being happy and fulfilled in your life. You know, no envy, no regrets, no, you know, fear of missing out and, and just taking care of everything as it comes so that you're not, you know, you, you don't have that anxiety. Like get up, make your bed in the morning, right? Put your clothes away. The little things in life that keep the anxiety away um, from a daily life of having happiness and fulfillment. Really great book. Yeah, FOMO is fear of missing out is a, is a huge thing, I think, that is keeping people from being truly happy today, especially millennials and the younger generation that's on social media. Everything is filtered. Um, so that mindset. Everybody wants it now. You know, again, this is, this is for me as an entrepreneur, a 23-year journey. A lot of people, they see people, you know, like Warren Buffett. A lot of people say, oh, man, I, I want to be Warren Buffett. You know, Warren Buffett's 90. He's been doing this for 40 years. You know, if you would have done what he did, it's not rocket science. He took an investment, compounded it 20% a year over, over 40, 50 years that he's been doing this, you know. And, um, you know, it's a lifelong journey to get there. So it, it doesn't happen overnight. In social media, you know, there's so many people that just want the shortcut and want to, want to make it happen overnight. That's rare. You know, there are, you know, in this day and age with social media and YouTube, yeah, you can make a lot of money fast, you know, doing a lot of different things, but you still have to educate yourself, build the skills, and you got to do the work, uh, you know, and, and put the time in and put the reps in. Yep. And a lot of times when it happens immediately overnight, you're not happy or content because all of a sudden it happened and you're like, wow, what next? So right. um, it's about the journey a lot of times. So um, what's the one way that you like to give back and add value to the real estate and entrepreneurship community um, that's benefited you so well the last 23 years? Yeah. So, you know, I do a lot of, you know, nonprofit charitable work, a lot of stuff in the faith-based community and, um, you know, uh, helping others, educating others, building into others, coaching and mentoring. Um, you know, I've, I've got my own YouTube channel and podcast with a lot of free content I put out, no, no advertisements or, you know, trying to sell anything. It's just straight content, teaching people what I've learned over the last, you know, 30 years. So, you know, that's been something that for me, I've always been a coach and a mentor. I love helping people. I love building companies, building businesses. And then, you know, I love giving back and serving the community. And, you know, I've kind of always done that, you know, in my career all along. That's great. Quick shout out. What are, what are those? Uh, it sounds like you said you had a YouTube channel that you give back. Yeah. That, yeah. So uh, yeah. everything's on my website, gregdickerson.com and YouTube, yeah. Greg Dickerson podcast, Greg Dickerson. So there's also a sportscaster out there with that name. So you might yeah. see him, but 
when you do Greg Dickerson real estate, you'll see it all pop up and gregdickerson.com. That's where all my stuff is. Great. We'll throw that in show notes. And, and the last question we always ask, what's the one best way that people can reach out to you? And it would you, it. there you go. We, we hit it two birds and one stone. So uh, great. We'll throw that in the, in the show notes so people can reach out uh, if they have any questions and check out the YouTube and all other awesome things that you're doing. And it sounds like you're going to keep doing them for the foreseeable future, which is always a great thing. That's beautiful thing about real estate is that you can do this for the rest of your life. You can do it anywhere from anywhere, you know, especially when you're, when you're in the creative real estate space, you know, there's a lot of different definitions of creative real estate. But for me, it's the ability to do what you love anywhere from anywhere your entire life. Amen. Right there. That is the creativity of real estate and the power of it. So, um, really appreciate you coming on, Greg, sharing the story of, of sound like nothing to 250 million plus in, in deals. That's an awesome story to have and inspiring for sure. So we're very thankful to have you on today and um, we'll wrap up as we always do with telling people until the next episode, always think outside the box. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Creative Real Estate Podcast. Jason Lewis and myself, Adam Adams, are grateful to have you as a loyal listener. And I do have one quick favor to ask is, If you are looking for apartment investing, then go to apartmentinvestingshow.com. That is the brand new YouTube channel that I just launched. Brand new YouTube channel. Uh, Again, this is only for apartment investing. That's all we talk about there. It is the apartment investing show and you can find it by going to apartmentinvestingshow.com. 